And then we also talked about the incarnation, what it was for Christ to actually come down and have with us. We've got our nativity scene. We've slowly been taking things away from our nativity because we're looking just at the books of Luke and the book of Luke and chapters 1 and 2. So the things that don't belong in our nativity scene, the, the Christmas tree, the presents, the donkey, uh, the wise men. Uh, but what we do have, if you've noticed, I've added just a couple of little white heads up in the, in the top corner there. We do have mention of a few other people. We've got Zachariah and Elizabeth. Uh, we've got uh, Anna, who we've just heard spoken about, and we've got Simeon. Um, so let's let them represent those people this morning as we go through. Um, today we get to finish off Advent, really. We get to finish off that section of the Bible, and, and it's a great way to close out our year. Um, as I said last week, we looked at radiation, celebration, incarnation. This week, I want to look at our temporal location and our faith disposition. Uh, temporal location and faith disposition. Um, has anybody said in the past month, let me get into this, anyone said in the past month something on the lines of, wow, I can't believe it's Christmas already? Has anybody said that? Stick up your hand if you said that. Yes. Um, how about uh, how time has flown? Um, and then who is actually enjoying this holiday season? Are you enjoying the holiday season? Give me a nod. Yeah? Yeah. Um, I was in a car last week for Christmas Eve. We had a barbecue down at Rifle Butts. It was amazing. I got to take a busload of kids down there. I said, are you enjoying your holidays? And they said, yeah. And I said, is it good? And they said, well, oh, what do you mean? And they're like, well, you know, it's boring because we don't have these things that we have to do. So sometimes holidays are boring and then you sit there and you get bored and it's no fun. And so it can be both boring and it can be exciting. Um, and so I had a mixed reaction from them. You know, time moves slower for us on holidays. Uh, for my family, I know that by 9.30 on Boxing Day, we were scratching at each other, ready to say, well, what are we going to do today? Let's, we've got to do something, right? Um, you know, for some time is passing too quick and for others time is dragging. I can't wait till New Year's. I can't wait till next year. Um, have you heard these things? I can't wait till I'm older. In the back there, I can't wait till I'm older. I've heard some people say that, yes. Um, I can't wait till I'm retired. Uh, I've heard some people say that to me this year. I can't wait until next holiday. King Solomon, he writes in Ecclesiastes, in a book in the Old Testament, that everything is vanity, that there's nothing new under the sun. A year comes and a year goes. Everything is the same. Now, that's a bit dark, right? Oh, well, what's the point? A year comes, a year goes. It's just another year, just another year. But it does provide an end to this. Well, actually, I can't. If we, if we take on what Solomon is saying, it helps us deal with this idea of, well, I can't wait until next year. I can't wait until next year because actually you have to think broader because the years are still coming. What is the point of the years? What's the point of New Year's? Is it just another day? Hmm. So what changes in a year, though? I think that's probably more the important question to ask. What changes in a year? Well, actually, what changes? We've grown older. Maybe we've grown wiser. And thank you to Monica for, for actually pushing us into that space this morning of, okay, well, what is, what is changing this year? What needs to change next year? See, she slammed it on you this morning. Let's sing a song. All right, what are you going to do with your life next year? Um, thank you for that, Monica. <laughs> it's good. 
But it's a good, it's good, right? We need to, we need to do that sometimes. Um, there's, this is a good time of reflection of what we have learned this year. And our text today in Luke 2 and all of Luke 1 and 2, it mentions three times that actually people grow and they become strong and they grow in wisdom and in stature and in favour with God and man. You know the verse? that Did you hear it? It was read. Yeah. Uh, so people grow, they become strong, they grow in wisdom and stature and with favour with God and man. Soren Kierkegaard, a philosopher, he wrote once that life can only be understood backwards, but it must be lived forwards. Life can only be understood backwards, but it must be lived forwards. So as we come to this new year, we must continue to learn from this past year and then also embrace the future. Because time will not stop. Time will not stop, right? <laughs> Generally speaking, <laughs> time will not stop. For the general rule. Yeah, 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 that's right. There are part. yes, very good. Thank you, Peter. Um, but for the most part, time will not stop. For me, there will, there will not be any end. Uh, there will not be not an end of my time. And I'm, I imagine the same for all of you, um, apart from some act of God. Okay, so some of us might be here in a content place this Christmas. Others might be hurting or more aware of what's going on in the world. Um, these are things that happen through time, right? The hurt that's going on. And these, as we go through this time, this chronos, uh, year after year, time passes and things change. Maybe we get happy one year, maybe we had a sad year. Um, but if you're like me, and maybe you're like a little bit of Solomon, um, we're wanting to look past this year at a time. And we want to look broader. Can we catch sight of actually broader than a year at a time can we look at actually where is the movement of God through time and can we join in with those that are waiting for this movement of God and if we are going to join in with that then what is our purpose in our life while we wait for this movement of God at a time so instead of going oh what am I doing next year what am I doing as I'm waiting for God's movement where am I looking for God to move does that make sense? Okay. So what happens if we devote ourselves instead of a time at a time or a year by year to a life instead of prayerful consideration of the things of God? What does it look like if we instead of a year at a time we look at, okay, well-worn patterns of faithfulness towards God? As a church in our Advent series, we've been looking at these uh, chapters in Luke. We've been looking at a time where people saw and they noticed God's movement in the world. You couldn't miss the angelic visits. Uh, you couldn't miss the mute stupor of, uh, of Zechariah. You couldn't miss the virgin birth. Um, because just before Jesus, we had Zechariah and Elizabeth. And at Jesus' birth, we have shepherds in a field. We have all these stories, but what were these people doing in these moments before they get written about in the Bible? What were they doing in these lead-up times? We see that some were actively looking for God, some were honouring God with their lives, some, we don't get any picture of that. But what we see, though, that God, whether they're looking at him or not, looking for him or not, God is at work, God is still working. 
And there have been people that have been waiting and they had a disposition to wait. They had a disposition of hope and faith for this movement of God for a long, long time. I love this word disposition. I'm going to use it later over and over. Merriam-Webster describes the word disposition uh, as a prevailing tendency or mood. As we go through this text, be mindful of the disposition, the mood or the prevailing tendency of those people that, that we see in the text. So let's see what type of people we encounter today as we finish off this chapter two. Uh, for those that are taking notes today, I'm going to try and break our sermon into two sections. Part one, I'm going to look at an overview of the text that we've just read out in Luke 2. And then the second part, if we've got time, I'm going to bring in some supporting um, verses. We get to hear the continuation of this birth story of Jesus in part one. We don't get to hear much about Jesus' upbringing. Uh, but there is reference again and again about the passing of time. And I feel there's something for us here for Christmas, for New Year's. Um, and be aware of the passing of time in the text as well. The temporal location and the faith disposition. Okay, so as we get into this, um, for those that are moving around, I don't mind you moving around. If you need to get up and walk as I'm talking, that's okay. I'm going to be talking at least 25 minutes here. What we're going to do, we're going to go semi-verse by verse in Luke 2 now, just to see if we can't pull out some of the juice uh, that is in some of these great verses, okay? So feel free to have Luke 2 sitting on your lap, uh, jumping somewhat verse by verse. We're going to do an overview or what they call an exegesis of the text. Uh, we're going to start at verse 22 uh, in Luke. Feel free to throw that up for us, Val, if you can. Luke 22, it'll be up on the, uh, the what's he? Um, you've got when the time came, the word time there is uh, day, so they're not looking for just when the random time, no it was actually a day, they had a day set for when the purification had to happen um, and the days of her purification um, that we see at the bottom of 22 there, um, that is Mary's purification, not necessarily for Jesus, so Mary had a, had a child and in the Jewish context they had to have a purification day where they actually went to a temple and said, all right, I've waited now my 80 days or whatever it is. I'm now considered clean again. I can re-enter the temple. Um, interesting stuff. Partaking uh, of this um, uh, honouring of God process of the law. You see in verse 23, you get the words, the law of the Lord. And the word law occurs in this chapter five uh, times. And this is more than any other part in the book of Luke. Luke emphasizes the fact that Jesus was made under the law. And accordingly, he elaborates on the details of the fulfillment of the law that Jesus provides. But not just for Jesus, it's how his parents are also obeying those laws as well. So they're doing things right. They have a disposition to honor God. They have a disposition to fulfill the cultural um, appreciation of who God is. They're God-fearing people. If we move on to 25, we get the word devout. This word devout, it is used by Luke only, and it's a kindred word for uh, the word godly fear in the Greek. Godly fear. This man, Simeon, he was a devout man. He feared God. His disposition towards God was that of the godly fear. And then also in the Greek, you can see that there's an element of, in this devoutness, the word is actually to take a hold of but actually to take hold of, but in a cautious way. He was holding on to his faith, but he was doing it in such a way that he was cautious about how he did these things. He took hold 
and he used what he saw of the things of God carefully as it was applying to his morals, as it was applying to his religion. And it emphasized, this word emphasizes the element of circumspection, a cautious, it's a careful observant of the divine law. This same word devout is used by um, Luke in Acts chapter 2 where it says the God-fearing Jews the God-fearers, those that have a godly fear. This is what devout is. Actually, I'm going to choose when I see God, I'm not going to just go, oh, hey, God, how you going? It's actually, no, I'm going to be careful with how I approach this being that is other, this being that is outside of time. Uh, in verse 25, we get this uh, term, consolation of Israel. Um, thanks, M, for reading this out earlier. Consolation of Israel. Hang on a second, I thought the good news was good news. Why are, we, why are we coming with consolation of Israel? Why is Simeon saying, hang on, I see the consolation of Israel here? Simeon is somebody who knows well the passage. He knows well um, what is going on with the broader story, so Old Testament texts as well. And he's thinking back to Isaiah 40, where Isaiah 40, Isaiah's prophesying comfort comfort my people one day you will not be in this place where you feel hurt where you will not be feeling pain like we feel today so this is a beautiful remembrance in a sense now interestingly we've got Simeon and it says in verse 25 still the spirit was on him so the spirit was with him spirit was on him and then 26 by the spirit uh, literally in the spirit, in the, in the, uh, in the Greek, um, the Holy Spirit is prompting him to actually go to temple that day. But as we look at it, it's not, oh, he was some godly man that was imbued by the spirit all the time to do this. No, no. He, as he was, um, as he was going through his life, he had a disposition to listen and to hear the prompting of the Spirit at that time. And that meant that he was led to the temple in just the right time to be able to see this Lord's Messiah, the baby Jesus. In verse 26, we've got the Lord's Messiah. Um, remember a couple of weeks ago, Isaiah 61 came out and we talked about... Um, can we flick to Isaiah 61 briefly? Who's got a Bible? Let's have a quick look at that. That's what we're talking about. So The Lord's Messiah, this is the anointed one, the Christ that is coming. Um, the Messiah is the anointed one who will bring the year of Jubilee, which when we remember the Jewish concept, every seven times seven years, they would reset their economic principle. They would institute, hang on a second, everything is going to return back to the families uh, of the original holdings from the 12 tribes. Um, what a fantastic idea that actually economically we are going to be living in a different uh, spot. 
So Simeon here is saying, hang on a second, I don't know, not only do I get to see this Christ, but actually I get to see this anointed one, the Lord's Messiah, the one who is going to bring the year of Jubilee, this great reset of economic wealth and the institution of righteous living. But also he's going to institute, if we look down further in Isaiah 61, that he's going to institute this vengeance for those that aren't in alignment with God's purpose. I love that we've got this idea of vengeance in there because actually, in a sense, we're all seeking some form of justice. We're all seeking some form of peace to come through into our lives because we know that actually the world isn't right. But the vengeance that's coming isn't necessarily, I'm going to burn you to a crisp, as some would say, but actually it's a reordering of the economic principles. It's a reordering of how the world works in terms of justice, righteousness and mercy. Verse 27, moved by the Spirit. Here we have an old man who is God-fearing, led by the Spirit in the moment, who listened to the Spirit, and in his disposition he listened, and he was rewarded. Verse 28, he took up in his arms. And this is a beautiful verse, right? Simeon took took him up in his arms, and he praised God. Um, Can you imagine immediately recognising in this child and then with unhesitating uh, certainty, you know that this child is the Messiah. Without needing Mary to even utter a word to him about what has happened to her in the lead up, she brings this child in and he goes, that's it, I see there, that is God. Now, if you had this keenness of awareness of Simeon, would you recognise God? And if you did have this keenness of awareness to recognise God as Simeon did, would you run away from it? Or would you embrace it when you consider the sum of your life? What a passage, right? Let's keep moving. Verse 29, as you've promised, we have to remember God's movement here is not a personal thing for Simeon even though he's part of this salvation. Simeon is remembering all of the prophetic words spoken to humanity since the understanding of Yahweh began. Uh, That this God will be our God, that he has made this promise to his humanity and that we shall be his people. Have you heard that before? This this God will be our God, I will be your God, you will be my people. And this, this line, I will be your God, you will be my people, it's been spoken all the way from Exodus 6 through Ezekiel, through Jeremiah, through Isaiah the prophet, and now here and now all the way into Revelation. And this isn't just for the Jews, but Simeon recognises here straight away that this is beyond his understanding of what grace is. Okay, this is, this is so far beyond it. The Greek word that Simeon uses here is ethnos, and this is a central theme in Luke's Gospel, right? For all ethnicities. Uh, see verse the next verse, 32. A light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. Um, If we move on to 33, we get once again this idea of being marvelled or being amazed. Uh, The repetition of uh, Mary pondered from back in verse 19 and 20. And this goes in hand in hand with um, Simeon's devoutness. A constant seeking uh, of God, an open-handedness, a cautious optimism of what God would do. Mary here is marvelling. Mary was amazed, and there's a hopeful disposition here, a disposition of, wow. 
So we get all these, we get, we get these two um, quite uh, godly people. And then we get the next one. Uh, we get this lady named Anna. Now, Anna's a funny one. She gets three verses in the Bible. Why is she important in this story? Why is she here? If we have a look into the text, it says that she lived seven years with her husband, uh, had been a widow for 84 years. So if we were going to have a look at this, uh, the earliest marriageable age was 12 years old at the time. Uh, she was with him for seven years. That puts her close to 20. And then after that, um, you know, she lived for another 84 years. So at this point in time, this lady Anna could probably not have been any younger than about 100 years old. What's she doing in the text here? Why is there three verses about her? I think what's important is to actually look at her character, to look at her disposition. What did she do? Uh, it's important as we keep moving through 39 um, that there's no mention of the Magi or there's no mention of the kings here that you get in Matthew. There's no mention of a trip to Egypt to get away from Herod. Um, at the end of the day, there is simply a meeting of the requirements of the law, Jesus keeping the law and then returning to sort of get on with life. Actually, this is done. I've done my, my honouring of God and now I'm going to come back and get on with my life. We're going through time. And then verse 40, we get this beautiful verse. And the child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom and the grace of God was on him. As we keep going through this last section of Luke 2, we get a small snippet of Jesus growing up, but not a lot. I just want to pull two verses for us. Um, verse 41 and 42, as we come through to the end of Luke chapter 2, we see Jesus following this cultural custom every year, uh, engaging with life, learning wisdom, uh, even becoming devout, as Simeon was, in his own way. You know, he's developing his disposition to life. He's learning of God and he's discovering about spiritual formation with a group of God-fearers. I love uh, verse 43 here, a kerfuffle with his parents, um, losing him for a patch as he becomes a teenager. Um, I'm sure none of us have ever experienced uh, going through a kerfuffle with parents at teenagerdom. Uh, totally relatable. Um, but then at the end of this section, we get this verse repeated again. Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favour with God and man in 52. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favour with God and man. What a comment. Repeated here now for the third time because you got it once in verse 40, uh, once here, and then if you flick back to the very end of chapter 1, you see it in verse 80 in chapter 1 where it's talking about John, John the Baptist. And John the Baptist goes through this process too. Hang on a second. John's going through this process. Jesus is going through this process. And actually, we get two pictures here as well. We get Simeon has gone through this process. We get Anna who's gone through this process of living, growing in wisdom and in stature and in favour with God and man. One commentator um, puts the growth that we see in Jesus. Uh, he says it, and it's a beautiful reminder to us all, this, this commentator, he writes, the beauty of Christ's example lies very much that he never at one stage of his life is anticipating the duties of another. 
The beauty of Christ's example lies very much in his never at one stage of his life anticipating the duties of another. And I think we can actually accept that for ourselves today as well. At each stage, Jesus holds on to the wisdom that's appropriate for his age, not becoming anxious for things that he can't control or even understand yet. There's no anxiety in Jesus as a baby. You don't get that picture. You don't even get it when he's a teenager. At each stage, he grows as a human in his physicality. At each stage, he grows in his relationship with those around him. And most importantly, he grows in his spiritual formation. He grows in his faith disposition from his teenage years onwards. And what a great example to us as we look to this new year to grow in wisdom and in stature and in favour with God and man. And so thank you, Monica, for actually prompting us. How will we grow in this next year? How have you grown in the past year? And what is your disposition to faith and faithfulness at the moment? Which of the people in this chapter do you associate with this morning? Are you young Jesus looking to grow in your understanding of of the world? Are you Simeon, um, perhaps complaining about the nature of life and just waiting for this salvation to come? Perhaps even waiting to be dismissed. Oh, finally I've seen it. Thank you, Lord, that's a beautiful gift. But now you can release me, he says. Or maybe you're connecting with Anna, a lady after God's heart and aware of it enough to see in the moment uh, the movement of God when it happens. And then, what does she do? She actually encourages the people that she's in. She gets to do that with them. That's the end of section one. That's the end of part one. Are we, are we still tracking all right? Have we got enough time for another five or ten minutes? I want to I keep going. I want to look at some supporting text out of the New Testament. I want to look at 2 Peter. Like I said, if you need to get up, if you need to walk around, that's okay. Let's have a look at some supporting text and other voices about disposition through time. Let's flick across to 2 Peter and have that sitting in your lap. Time is a funny thing. As it passes, we get older. Perhaps, perhaps we become jaded, waiting for the promise of God to come true. Where is this comfort promised in Isaiah 40? Where is this comfort, comfort, O oh my people? Where is this world peace? Where is the righteous living that comes after this vengeance that's mentioned in Isaiah 61 is enacted? 2 Peter chapter 3, it gives us a passage of how God is related to time. And I want to spend just five minutes or so in this book of 2 Peter, so um, let's get into that. If you have a look at 2 Peter 3, verses 7 to 12, um, You've got this idea of the fire and the day of judgment. Um, but then in verse 8, we've got this. Don't forget this one thing, dear friends. The day with the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as un some understand slowness. You know, this fire imagery in verse 7, there's an, it's an apocryphal text style. We can't get around that. I don't want to go anywhere near the idea of fire this morning. I don't want to go near the refining work of Christ's spirit and how it works with that fire. I don't want to go near atonement process. But what I do want to do is just remember our exploration in Isaiah 61. I keep coming back to Isaiah 61. If you need to get back in there in your Bibles through the week to Isaiah 61 and hear 
uh, the thought of Jesus being the one who is anointed to bring about this vengeance, the only one that's anointed to do so. You know, like I said before, this vengeance is bringing about a just form of peace. Um, Isaiah 2 talks about peace, talking about swords being beaten into plowshares, where there is release for those that are bound and there are restoration to those who are brokenhearted. It's the reordering of wealth in line and power in line with God's kingdom. So, this vengeance is about how we live, right? It comes to our own disposition. If we're reordering the wealth of the world, if we're reordering everything about how the world works, then actually it comes down to us and how we live and our disposition to God as we live. Are we living ethical, moral lives? Are we following Micah 6, 8? Are we doing justly? Are we loving mercy? Are we walking humbly with God? Are we holding firm to the promises of Christ in faith? And are we doing this then, not as a week-to-week thing, but instead keeping at the forefront of our lives, throughout our lives, until the end comes? How did Anna get a mention in Scripture? A life devoted to God, a disposition of faithfulness. Simeon, Zechariah, Elizabeth, Mary, shepherds. And then we get to this point uh, in 2 Peter, if we go back to chapter 1. He also talks, he also knows that one day he will be old and he's going to need to pass on things of utmost importance to the next generation, as we see Simeon and as we see Anna doing. Uh, Have a look in 1 Peter, uh, 2 Peter 1, verse 12. He says, So I will always remind you of these things, even though you know them and are firmly established in the truth you now have. He says in verse 13, I think it right to refresh your memory as long as I live in the tent of this body, because I know that I will soon put it aside. Time does not stop. And so if Peter knows this, hang on, time's not stopping. I'm going to have to put away this tent of my body. I'm going to have to put it away. I'm going to have to give it aside. What does he actually encourage us towards as we then live through our lives? What is the disposition that Peter would ask for us? He calls us to grow in a godly disposition. If you have a look in 2 Peter 1 verse 5, so just jump back uh, a few verses. He says, For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control, self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, mutual affection, and to mutual affection, love. So instead of seeing time as something that's problematic, you know, death comes to us all, Uh, instead of seeing time as, you know, a waiting that never ends, like with Solomon, instead of uh, thinking of time as something that goes too quickly, there's not enough time for us to finish what we start. What we get instead is a gift from God to engage with the world in all of its fullness as Christ did, as Simeon did, as Anna did, Zechariah, Elizabeth. But also, you hear this idea. um, Peter gives us this sense, make every effort, do this, do this, do this. So there's a sense of, hang on a second, I'm going to push through life. I'm going to push with purpose. This is me pushing with purpose. Hang on a second, that sounds really hard. (laughs) Who had a hard year? Oh, it's been a hard year, right? Maybe I'm not in a place to push with purpose. Maybe you're thinking, Damo, I did really well just to get to church this morning. 
or even just to stream the podcast later if you're listening online. Can I say that there's grace for you today? Christ didn't come that we might be busy. He came to let us know that his yoke is easy, his burden is light. And I pray that for you this morning as we go into the new year. It brings us back to Soren Kierkegaard, the philosopher. Life can only be understood backwards, but it must be lived forwards. As we come to the new year, we must continue to learn from the past, embrace the future. Let's go forward so that as we go, we might learn from the heart of God what peace is, what righteous living is, what it is to be old, what it is to be wise. Gee, I've got some growing in that. Does anybody else have some growing in that to do? Let me bring this to a conclusion. All right. This is our temporal location, a short stay amongst God's timelessness. Our purpose in life is to seek wisdom, to be devout and to grow, to add to our faith goodness, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness. To not be fearful of embracing Christ as we see him presented to us on the street to step into the heritage of God's beloved, like Simeon and Anna. To engage with God if something is presented to us, like the shepherds did, like Simeon did, wholeheartedly. God has placed us in this place at this time for a reason. And though we look backwards in time, as we see our past, we actually look forward with purpose. We want to grow in wisdom, we want to grow in stature, we want to grow in favour with God and with our fellow man. And it's not about doing more stuff. It's about being purposeful as we push. Being purposeful in our disposition. Being aware of faith. Aware of the moving of God. And this is God's will for us as we enter into this new year. As we leave the old one behind, let's refocus on the purpose for the time that we've been given. To enjoy the gift of God and our ability to experience life with its ups and its downs, always growing, always changing, always becoming wiser and growing in our faith disposition. Hoping, as the Israelites did in Isaiah, in, in Jeremiah, to see the movement of God more, more clearly. Amen. Will you pray with me? Lord, let our disposition this year be one of faithfulness in waiting for your perfect justice. This year has been hard in many ways. Lord, help us to love mercy. Help us to walk humbly with you and with each other. Lord, help us to seize new opportunities as they come. Give us awareness of what will help build into your kingdom. Give us an awareness of where your spirit is already moving so that we might join in and celebrate it as Anna and Simeon did. Lord, may our disposition to you be like when Simeon took up the baby. Lord, not fearful of you, but that we might have an awareness of your love for us and your nearness to us, that we may never become blasé in our faith. Instead, come to maturity of faith through slow and purposeful steps towards faithful disposition. Lord, we thank you for Jesus. Lord, we thank you for his coming as a baby. Lord, we thank you for his maturity and his growing in each of the steps of his life. Lord, I pray that we might know that maturity, that we might not be anxious to deal with the next stage of our maturity as we grow, 
Lord, but that you might work with us, be near to us as we engage in these next steps. We ask for these things in Jesus' powerful name.